Today is Thursday, September 1st, 2022. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. Afghanistan, one year later as the media tries to move on from it. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast. We bring you news from a Christian perspective. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't. Give us a rating. Share it with a friend. We want more Christian perspective in the news, and you can do it and help us by doing those things. Let's get through the news of the cray together. And joining me, as always, to help us get through it, Trey Gons Phillips and Billy Hallowell from CBN's FaithWire.com. On a Friday, Junior, guys, what's going on? Yeah, we have journeyed through this week, <laughs> and it's been exciting. Aye. It's been a full week. I can't believe we're already to Friday Junior. Yes, yeah. already, already Friday Junior. Things are moving along, and uh, we've got some some big stories coming up today. On the main thing, it's been a year since the bungled pullout of Afghanistan that has left American military members and hundreds of Afghanis dead. And the media, the media might be trying to move on from that, but we are going to revisit the details on that. But first, the news in. 90 seconds. Math and reading scores for America's nine-year-olds fell dramatically during the first two years of the pandemic, according to a new federal study, confirming what was obvious to a lot of people that pandemic restrictions were harming the nation's children. And former Alaska governor and vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin has lost her special general election bid in Alaska to fill the remainder of former Representative Don Young's term in Congress. Democrat Mary Peltola pulled out the victory. They used ranked choice voting for the first time there in Alaska in this election. That's a a method that allows voters to rank their candidates in preferred order. Actor and comedian Rob Schneider is doubling down on his comments that he didn't care about his career anymore. And he was willing to speak out against the movement towards a loss of freedoms that he sees happening around the country. He made the comments on the Glenn Beck podcast, then echoed them in front of a large crowd at a stand-up performance. He said, I prioritize supporting a country that provides the same freedoms for my children that made my career possible. This legacy to me is more important than the next chapter of my career. Those are just some of the headlines happening today. You can check out more over at cbnnews.com. Guys, Rob Schneider has been, he has been speaking out. And look, that's not a popular thing. I don't even know if he's fully conservative politically. It seems like it, but that's not a popular thing to do in Hollywood these days. No, it's not. You got to kind of you know stick with the party line, and the party line is on the progressive side. So anybody who speaks out, you know, lots of these actors have said that their careers have been impacted deeply by speaking out on anything other than sort of a, a left leaning agenda. I mean, being willing to to stand up, whether as certainly primary as a Christian, but also as a conservative in Hollywood, uh, to me, that really just shows that you've got to actually believe what you're saying. Like, they actually have to be convictionally a believer or convictionally, you know, conservative, because if you didn't actually believe this stuff, why would you risk it? Yeah. You know, you're, you're putting so much on the line uh, to, to share your views in an in a environment that is completely and totally, again, especially to faith, yeah. hostile toward it. Yeah, and I saw some people saying, well, it's, oh, yeah, your career seems to be going really, really poorly. And obviously, he's at the latter stage of his career, but I'm sure he still gets lots of offers, lots of movie scripts. And if anyone thinks that it's not a real risk for someone in Hollywood to come out and express views that lean more conservative, just ask Gina Carano about that 
Um, she she was active on Twitter and lost her role in in one of the biggest series out there in The Mandalorian because of well, her th- tweets. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think just look at what is churned out in Hollywood. What is the end byproduct, right? If you don't believe these things are true, look at what you're seeing on your screens. It's very clear what is being presented. And look, that's the right of those creators to present those things. But the reality is people who don't agree with the themes being presented, and it's not just on camera, it's the writers, it's the people behind the scenes, right? All of this content, it skews in one direction. And so this is just, it's crazy to me when people deny it because we've all interviewed many people who have talked about this, you know, in Hollywood, that this is a major problem, not being able to tell the truth and be themselves. Yeah, it should be self-evident that that's, that it's a thing, but um, people have, have made a habit of denying self-evident truths these days. So that leads us into our first story here, guys. And a teacher that had been suspended surrounding some transgender issues has now finally gotten um, a result from the court. So, Billy, let's start here. What what was this teacher accused of in this situation? Yeah, this is 58-year-old Pamela Ricard. She was a middle school math teacher at Fort Riley Middle School out in Kansas. And she apparently, she's a Christian, uh, but she was accused of not using a student's preferred pronoun. Uh, this was a female student who was identifying as a male. And this particular teacher felt uncomfortable, again, as a Christian, using the preferred names and pronouns. She was calling this student Miss and using the last name to try to find find you know some sort of middle ground and this led to a three-day suspension for this teacher back in 2021. What was the troubling parental element that there was in this case as well? Sure so this case has two things going on right you have the teacher being suspended she files a lawsuit because of that but as part of the lawsuit and this is the really interesting part of this case, the claim was that this particular teacher and other teachers were told that they were not to use the student's preferred pronouns when talking to parents. So there's this parental communication aspect here. Um, and, and the reason for that apparently was that they didn't want the parents to know. So if a student was was transgender, identifying as transgender, then in school, the teachers were instructed to use that preferred name, the preferred pronoun, but with parents use the legal name if that's what the student wants. And so that became a part of this case. It was a part of her lawsuit, you know, being allegedly told to lie to the parents. And so what you have now in the end result here is apparently the school board is is moving away from that policy. So because this woman sued over her own you know debacle being suspended for three days and fearing further retribution, this parental element was sort of brought into this as part of the, the major problem with the case as a whole. Yeah. And you can see people kind of being led into a place that's going to violate their conscience on issues as basic as just having to tell the truth and and not lying. So, I mean, what are the bigger implications for this case for teachers and educators? Yeah, it's interesting. Joshua Ney, who's an attorney attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, um, he said that this really teaches a big lesson about the financial stakes for these school boards. He said, you know, quote, absurdity and deception has its limits, especially in federal court. I'm glad the case clarifies the financial stakes for school boards if they attempt to force teachers to lie to parents about their students. And so um, you know, he also said the school district unsuccessfully tried to convince the federal court 
that, you know, teachers should basically completely avoid using a child's name during parent teacher conferences to, again, intentionally hide the preferred genders these students are using in the classroom. So it has the case as a whole has major implications because she won. She won her loss. I mean, it's a settlement. They settled for ninety five thousand dollars and legal fees. So this sends a message to the rest of the world. Look, you know, if you're a teacher, you do have rights. You don't lose all your rights in the classroom. And hopefully it sends school boards a message to respect those religious implications in these cases. Hearing the rules that they're trying to set up here that you have to dance around all these pronouns and what the students want you to call them. It just feels like this atmosphere of self-censorship has been set up and you're constantly having to as a teacher, censor in your mind everything you're saying when you're addressing these kids. And I think the uh, person put it well there in your story, Billy, absurdity and deception has its limits. It it really feels like all of a sudden in just the last couple of years, now these students have this big um, sort of victimhood class that they can put themselves in if they don't get every single thing they want. And it just seems like a bizarre way to set things up, doesn't it? It does. And and let's keep in mind, all of these ideas are coming. You know, we were talking about Hollywood before. They're coming from Hollywood. They're coming yeah. from, I mean, it's being reinforced at every level. And then it's being reinforced in the classroom. And, and by the way, what does this do to parental rights and the relationship between kids and parents mm-hmm. that school districts are willing to allegedly step in yeah, and say, scary. you know what, we'll hide this for you. Yeah. You know, I think the classroom probably reveals this issue better than uh, better than most places, uh, because all of this essentially is about um, finding camaraderie and human existence. And I think if we can't find if we can't find common ground on something as basic as how you exist as a human being, mm. I don't see how we can get along. Right? Yeah. Like this is this is is just profoundly eroding culture. Uh, and I think we're seeing it played out really, really clearly in the classroom, which, by the way, I think is why it's been such a sticking point at elections. I think it's why here where I live in Virginia, it's ultimately why Yunkin, the Republican, won that governor's race, uh, because th- this is really, really doing great damage to just our ability to find connection with other people when you can't make a basic ex- assumption about somebody as either being male or female. I think we haven't done a good enough job of communicating how essential, maybe it's because we don't feel like we should have to, uh, but we haven't done a good job of communicating just how essential mm. that is to you know finding a relationship and connection with human beings. Yeah. And this is something I've been saying and trying to, trying to in my mind, figure out how to articulate, but it does. I think you touched on it, Trey. We haven't even thought about how do we defend basic truths? Like, like how do you defend two plus two equals five when someone's seriously making this claim? You know, you think, well, there's two things here and then two, and you can look at them and there's four. Well, no, but it's really five. Uh, that's essentially what's happening a, a lot of the a lot of the time with this gender stuff. And you're just making up things. And then now I have to go along with it. But we, we just haven't even thought. It's not been a, a, a thing in our minds that we have had to practice which is explaining to someone why they are male and female and it's tricky it's tricky because sometimes sometimes the most obvious things are hard to define and explain when they should be just self-evidence where do you start on it where how do you explain something that should be self-evident it's uh i think it's trickier than it seems than it sounds but it's something i think we need to start doing more of 
letting people also know that the world is not going to always bend to you at some point. And we've talked about this a lot, but at some point culture decided that you were just intended to never, ever be offended and that everything (laughs) you believe and think is going to be backed up everywhere you go. So everywhere I go, everyone's going to tell me that they believe Jesus is the son of God and he died for our sins. And I'm going to demand that everybody tells me that constantly um, so that, you know, I feel good about what I believe. That's just not how life works. No. And you're harming me if, if you, if you even dare, to disagree or not affirm it you are harming me and you need to be stopped i mean that's essentially the road we're going down it is a dangerous road and i think more people are speaking out about it and um, probably should speak out about it so all right guys thanks for that story that leads us into our main thing today it's been a year since the bungled pullout in afghanistan what a disaster that was american military members died in that a couple of days there and hundreds of afghanis wound up being dead. I mean, we saw horrific images of desperate Afghanis clinging to American military planes on the outside of them, trying to get away from the Taliban. And so the the media may be trying to move on from that debacle from a year ago, but we're going to revisit it and talk about it one year later on today's Main Thing. One year after the United States pulled out of Afghanistan, the situation inside the nation is dire. We sat down with Todd Nettleton, a spokesman for the Voice of the Martyrs, a persecution watchdog, to understand exactly what is going on in Afghanistan and how Christians, a minority group, are facing dire persecution. Here's what Todd had to say. Well, there's a lot of hardship in Afghanistan. The economy is in shambles. Uh, I'll never forget interviewing John Weaver, the author who lived in Afghanistan for a number of years right after the takeover uh, for our Voice of the Martyrs radio podcast. And one of the things he said, I'll never forget, he said, you know, that the Taliban are fighters, they're not governors. And now for the last year, they've had to be the governors. They've had to be the people who uh, kept the trash getting picked up. They kept the electricity on. And it's, it's really not in their skill set. They're fighters. They're not governors. And so the whole country is suffering because of that. And, you know, our Christian brothers and sisters are, are certainly a part of that. You know, I've seen reports of people selling their kidneys to feed their children. The dire poverty on the whole that is going on there is is really, you know, quite horrific. You mentioned Christians, and it's interesting because in America, the freedoms we enjoy, we might have certain assumptions like when the Taliban came in, maybe all the Christians left. Maybe there aren't Christians there still, uh, but that's not quite the reality. What can you tell us about Christianity as it currently stands on the ground there in Afghanistan? Well, I'm happy to report that there are Christians still in Afghanistan. There are Christians in every province of Afghanistan. And uh, certainly many Christians did flee a year ago with the Taliban takeover, especially those who were publicly known, uh, those who maybe had worked with Western aid organizations or had somehow been kind of publicly identified as a follower of Christ, most of those kind of Christians left because they knew the Taliban theology. They knew what would happen to them under the Taliban rule. The the people, though, the Afghan people that those people led to Christ, what I might call, you know, second or or third generation Afghan Christians who were less well-known, many of them made the incredibly bold decision to stay in Afghanistan. They knew also what the Taliban's theology was. They knew also what would happen if they were outed as Christians. But their attitude was, listen, if all the Christians leave the country, who's still going to be here to share the gospel? 
And so they made that decision to stay. Now, their lives have certainly not been easy for the last 12 months. In fact, one of the Christians that Voice of the Martyrs is acquainted with in Afghanistan, just in the first eight months after the Taliban takeover, he and his family had to move three times. Uh, because once your neighbors start asking questions about, hey, who was that person who visited your home? Or why didn't we see you at the mosque for Friday prayers? Once they start asking those questions, you face that decision point of, okay, do I stay here and try to explain myself? Or do I move to someplace else where they don't know me? They don't know that I'm a follower of Christ. And like I say, for his family, three times in eight months, they made the decision to move uh, to try to protect themselves. So it is a difficult place to follow Christ. But as I said, there are followers of Christ in every part of the country. And I mean, just to put it into perspective, for those who don't know, you're talking about a scenario where 99.8% of the country, according to Voice of the Martyrs, your organization statistics are Muslim. So this is not only are you in a minority group as a Christian, it's a very, very small um, group of, of believers, and it's a hostile environment. You know, when the Taliban came back and reemerged, they promised they were going to treat um, women's rights differently than they had before, that they were going to treat others in the country better. Has Have any of those promises come to fruition? Uh, there were a lot of promises, weren't there? I, I remember being told about Taliban 2.0. This is the, the kinder, gentler Taliban. Um, no, those promises have not been kept. And I'm, I'm glad you pointed out the, the hostile environment that Christians in Afghanistan live in, because one of the things that's important for people to know is there's always been persecution of Christians in Afghanistan. It's not just the Taliban that will persecute you for following Christ. It, it might be your father. It might be your older brother who says, listen, we are a Muslim family. By following Jesus, you have brought shame on our family. The only way we can get rid of that shame is either to get you to come back to Islam or to punish you severely. So even before a year ago, before the Taliban takeover, there has always been persecution in Afghanistan. Uh, but certainly now you have the weight of the Taliban, you have the weight of the national government brought to bear against Christians, as well as those uh, family and tribal persecution that we've always seen. Yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but obviously this is something that the pullout of Afghanistan is something that has frustrated a lot of people. You've seen a lot of comments from former President Donald Trump um, talking about how horrific this was. And you had a situation that wasn't perfect with the U.S. there, but that seemed quite different a year later when you juxtapose life a year and a half ago, let's say, to life in Afghanistan now how do you think history is going to look back on that U.S. pullout and the effect that was had afterward? You know, I'm not a politician, and I don't, I don't get, uh, I don't get paid by the government. I don't get paid to talk about the government. The the thing that I recall, though, is uh, the peace agreement was worked out by the Trump administration, and then the Biden administration handled the pullout. So I think as you look at uh, what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, there are lots of questions for, for people on both sides of the aisle to answer about uh, how that happened and what decisions were made. Uh, you know, sitting down with the Taliban, and again, there were a lot of promises made by the Taliban, uh, but those promises have not been kept, and there hasn't been really mechanisms to, to make sure that those promises were kept.
What has been for you the most heartbreaking story, perhaps, that you have heard to come out of Afghanistan, especially in the past year since all of this has unfolded? You know, when I think about Afghan Christians who, uh, like I say, everyone in Afghanistan is suffering. So, you know, the economy's in shambles. There's not enough food. There's not enough housing. There's not enough fuel for heat. Uh, Everyone is suffering. But then to have added on top of that the suffering for the gospel, the suffering for Jesus' sake, uh, I, I think that does sort of grab a hold of my heart and make me think, again, of the boldness of those Christians who decided to stay. They had their eyes open. They, they knew what was coming. They knew the potential for more suffering, even the potential for their deaths. And yet they said, we're going to stay here Someone needs to represent Christ in this country, and we're willing to make the sacrifice to do that. Uh, I'm incredibly inspired by the courage of those brothers and sisters who made that decision. That was Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. For more on his organization's work and what is going on in Afghanistan, head over to persecution.com. All right, Billy, thank you so much for that conversation there and taking a look back at that horrific series of events that uh, feels like longer than a year ago, uh, in part because the media wants to move away from it, it seems. So you just don't see as much about it uh, in the mainstream media. So thanks for bringing that story to us. And that leaves us with time for our last thing today. And we are going to take a peek at First John. When you look at First John 2, 4, It's really interesting because we're talking about truth today. It says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And it just, it makes me think about the fact that a lot of people are walking around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, you know, Mm. over 60% of Americans. Yet when, when push comes to shove, some of us aren't speaking up for the truth. We're not really living the truth. And so it's just a a solid reminder that it's not just words, it's action. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're seeing that play out in a lot of different areas and it makes you question when you see, okay, they proclaim the name of Christ. And then turn around and champion some things that clearly go against God's order. It makes you scratch your head. Well, what are you doing here? Are you really, are you really following Him or not? Who are you following? Are you following the world? Are you following the ideas that are pleasing to man right now, or are you following Christ? There's clearly a cost for following one, and it seems like a lot of people don't want to take that cost, and they'd rather go the route that's pleasing to the majority of man. You know, I think we have to take responsibility and be eternally minded, which is difficult in our human, with our human finite minds. We want concrete, we want to be like here and now, we want the instant gratification, but uh, we have to be eternally minded with this stuff. If we're going to identify as a Christian, uh, that means we're identifying as an ambassador of Christ. So we have to represent him well in the culture and advance his kingdom and advance his uh, His commands and, and his worldview uh, in our lives. So if we're not going to do that, then, you know, are, are we really a believer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us do it perfectly. I fall short every single day and always will uh, on this side of eternity. Uh, but that should be our goal. That's what we strive to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it comes down to the heart. I mean, like if you are, if you, you like you said, Trey, we're all going to fall short. But if your heart and your desire is to please the Lord and you humble yourself and admit your mistakes and then go, go before the Lord, Um, that usually works out well. I mean, we see that with David and others in the Old Testament. Yeah, they made big mistakes, but it's when they humbled themselves that the Lord then, you know, blessed them in turn. So 
Um, all right. Well, we'll leave it there. That's all the time we have for today on this Friday, Junior. God bless. Lord willing, in that creek don't rise. We'll be back here tomorrow with more. See you then.